And uh, so God's going to bless. Go ahead and hit the video. You guys are going to enjoy this. Turn your chairs around so you can face. Turn your chairs all the way around so you can laugh and get a good view. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cuz I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. Ladies, don't hold it in, because you make real weird noises when you hold it in, don't they? Did they hear me, Bill? I don't know. Woman's Clothing Store. The actual name of the store is The Dress Barn. <laughs> the Dress Barn. That's the best name you could come up with then. That's, that's the one you want to go with. I don't think I'm ever taking my wife to a place called The Dress Barn. Marriage is like the stock market, man. You're checking it every day. Oh, 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 that dipped. What happened there? I don't know what. Oh, must have been when I left the sock in the fridge. That's probably what happened there. That's probably the, the reason that happened. Just learn. It's so easy, guys. Just learn. And I took her out the other, the other night. We went out the other night, and it was just, it was just a lot of tension. It's just my fault. I understand that. I brought it on myself. We're driving to the restaurant. We always have the same, you know, the same fight. What do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? Will you just make a decision? Okay, we'll have Italian. I hate Italian. Just want a large cup of whiskey. That's all. <laughs> so there's just tension. We get to the restaurant. We're looking at the menus. The waiter comes up, asks us what we want. What do you like? Hey, honey, what do you want? You know what I want? I want you to want to know what I want. We're gonna need a couple more minutes. <laughs> it gets worse. The guy comes back for a drink order. I say, yeah, I'll take a cherry Coke. Honey, you want a cherry Coke? You don't even know who I am, do you? I don't like cherries and I don't like Coke and I for sure don't like cherry Coke. What, does your girlfriend like cherry Coke? No, she likes Pepsi. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, ladies, don't you moan at that. How dare you moan at that? It's not fair. Sometimes my wife gets mad at me for behaving wrong in her dreams. That ain't fair. I had a horrible dream last night. You want to hear about it? No, I'm going to tell you anyway. A grizzly bear was chasing me through the woods with his teeth. He was going to eat me. And you did nothing. You just sat there and you didn't do a thing. What was I doing? You were playing poker with a rabbit. That's what you were doing. And that's the thing. You would do something like that. You would play poker with a rabbit. 
while I was being eaten by a bear. Like one of the conflict resolution tools they teach in marriage is ask questions. When you have a disagreement, don't just start spewing out what you think, make it worse. Ask questions, try to relate, make it better. I used that last week. My wife and I got into a disagreement. It got hot, it got heated. We started a fight. I stopped myself right there, started asking questions. Honey, why are you being a psycho right now? Men and women text differently. Like when men text something, it's just a couple of words, da da da, send. That's all I had to say. I have nothing left right now. I'm tapped out right now. When I get another thought, I will send that out to you. But right now, just a couple of crickets playing racquetball up there. <laughs> but women, when women text, what are you doing? Oh, you look like a squirrel holding a nut. You're like, oh, yay. I got a carriage return on your phone. This is my text to her right here. Hello, my darling. How you doing today? Send. And that's when the floodgates open. Now I'm going to read you her response. Good, I'm just so tired. Went to chiropractor. I'm super tight through shoulders and mid-back, so he loosened that up. He said, it sounds like my brain isn't shutting off for some reason. I asked him if it would be from playing electronic games before bed. He said, probably so. He said, try that. Have a sip of wine before bed. If I don't sleep good the next week, come back and try acupuncture. Smiley face. I'm feeling very draggy, but still as Jack and Stacey, so it could be in the air. Have it. Jackson played Xbox before bed, so he could have the same issues. <laughs> so I text back, okay. But uh, you know, that we had Alan Miranda here last year? Was it last year? I think 2017. Okay, yeah. it's, it all flies by. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, Miranda has a great background in music, but not only does she have a great voice and a, and, uh, a soloist capability, but she likes to, with Alan, lead us into worship. So let's take this time to just come into a time of worship, then after that, Alan's going to be sharing the word. It is so good to be back with you all. This feels like home to me, even though we've only been here one other time. We come before you tonight so thankful that because grace is an ocean, we are all sinking in your grace and your mercy, in your restoration and your forgiveness, Lord. Father, tonight I pray that you would touch each and every one in here who is, who is in a marriage with, with their best friend or, or who's struggling with one another. Lord, I pray that you would touch them, that they would see that you have a plan for their life that's better than anything they could have imagined for themselves. Father, we know when we walk through the fire, when we walk through the darkness, that you are there with us and that you will get us to the other side and that you will restore the beauty that you began with, Lord. Father, we lift up all these praises. We, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This next song is one that I wrote, and uh, it just proclaims how thankful I am for everything that my God has brought me through. Like you, I've had struggles in marriage and... Um, God has seen me through some intense circumstances, escaping domestic violence and protecting a child from a child sex abuse. And God 
ended our story in a way that I could have never dreamed with complete and total freedom, where my daughter and I were able to move on. And she prayed and prayed and prayed for a new daddy. And I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't going there. She was asking me, Mommy, can we, can we please go to a store and buy a new daddy? And God answered her four long years of prayers when we were alone in the frozen tundra of Iowa, living with my parents, getting through the court system in this country. And when God brought us together, it was an amazing thing. And uh, we've been married almost five years now, actually in about a week. It will be five years. And in January, Alan officially adopted. Um, my then three-year-old, she's 12 years old now. And I just want to encourage you tonight that if you're in a situation that feels hopeless, that feels like you will never get to the other side, or that your life is over because of the circumstances you are in or have been through or are going through, I am living proof you will survive it and you will come out the other side better than you could have ever dreamed. This next song is Adore. I'll always adore you. Jesus, my salvation, the anointed holy one, I'll always adore you, I'll always adore you, I'll always adore you, Jesus my Lord, Jesus my Lord. King of kings, light of the world, word of God, the lion of Judah, you're the same, you're my soul, always adore you, I'll always adore you, I'll always adore you. Salvation, the anointed holy 
always adore you. I'll always adore you. I'll always adore you. Jesus, my Lord, I'll always adore my distinct privilege to introduce to you my favorite person on earth. <laughs> and many, many times after we do a concert and I share a little bit about what we've been through, people will ask me afterwards, why didn't you tell us how you met? And Alan and I knew each other for many years. He was the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel in Austin, Texas. And I used to travel through there on my tours and sing at his church. And when everything fell apart in my life, I had no idea that he was going through his own set of, of trauma and struggles. I was just getting through what I had to get through at the time. And when all of our court things were finished and we were free to move on, I was living with my parents like I told you before. And my mom said, you know what, let's just all, we're ready to retire. Let's just the four of us pick up and we will move somewhere new and start fresh. So we got out an atlas and I wanted a music city so we debated between Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, and Nashville, Tennessee. Well, I didn't know anyone in Nashville, and I, and I had, you know, there was the high cost of living and all of that in California, and I said to my mom, gosh, if we end up in Austin, you should hear that guy preach at that church in Austin. He's amazing. And uh, at the time, I did not know that he would one day be my husband, so my mom said, why don't you message all the pastors in the Texas region where you've, where you've sung before? So I did, and he was the only one who responded. And we began a, uh, a conversation, emails for seven months, long distance, getting to know each other, getting to see how much we had in common and how we could see a future together. And, and so that's kind of where it all happened. And eventually my parents and my daughter and I moved to Austin near him, and I was a substitute teacher for a while, and we dated and got engaged. And uh, it's just an amazing story to see how God works out everything flawlessly, even when it seems impossible to us. So please welcome Alan Rigg. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you guys hear me out there? How about Miranda? Oh, my goodness. I have no idea how many times we've performed that song, Adore, but every time she hits that big note, I'm just like, Lord, my wife can sing. Man. Well, so I was on this Israel trip. I was at the Dead Sea, and they had a little coffee bar. And, uh, you know, if there's coffee being served, I'm there. So I was introduced for the first time to Bedouin coffee. Has anyone here ever had Bedouin coffee? I mean, it is strong. Like, I'm, I'm like, a, like a quad espresso guy. I mean, I like my coffee straight up and strong. But this stuff, Wow. And they told me that there's a saying about Bedouin coffee. Here's what the Bedouins say about their coffee, that your coffee should be as strong as a man, as black as your wife's hair, and as bitter as marriage. Wow. 
<laughs> the coffee was great. Their take on marriage, not so much. I'm hoping that's not how you feel about marriage, but tonight I want to approach the subject from maybe somewhat of an unconventional um, place. Let me just start with this. I don't consider myself a ritualist, and I can't imagine that anyone who attends Calvary Chapel Richmond on the weekend would think of this as a, as a ritualistic church per se. But I was reading a book by a rabbi where he said something very interesting about ritual. He said something along these lines that, that ritual tells you what to do when you don't know what to do. Those are my words. That's how I heard what he wrote, how I interpreted what he wrote. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that's really powerful. That gives me a whole different way to think about ritual and the value of, of something that might even be described as ritual. Uh, as I recall, the context was grief. He was talking about how ritual could help guide a person through a season of grieving. But when I heard it, I couldn't help but think about it in other contexts. One of those was the Lord's Prayer. It made me think about what the Lord's Prayer means to me. Now, you guys know that the Lord's Prayer is found twice in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 6 as part of the Lord's Prayer. Or I'm sorry, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's Prayer is there as part of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's also found in Luke. And that's where I want to talk about it tonight. Some of you brought Bibles. It's okay if you didn't. But if you did bring one, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer as found in Luke chapter 11. Now, here's the thing as you're turning there. I don't, I don't say the Lord's Prayer. What I mean is that I don't recite it, much less recite it over and over and over again. That's not what I do at all. I don't say the Lord's Prayer, but I do pray the Lord's Prayer. What I do is I take it a phrase at a time. Like I might say, our Father in heaven, and then, and then I'll stop there and pray for several minutes. Like I might focus on the word our, reflecting on what it's like to be a part of a spiritual family. You know, thanking God for other followers of Jesus who are like brothers and sisters to me, like all of you here tonight. Um, next, I may focus on the word Father and thank God for being um, a loving dad in heaven to me and to others. And, and, and then I might focus on that phrase, in heaven, and realize that, that God doesn't have the limitations that an earthly father might have. That's just an example. And so doing that, I might pray phrase by phrase through the entire prayer. And you know when I'm most likely to do that is when I don't have any idea what to pray. You know, when I'm really at a loss, like I want to connect with God, I want to talk to God, but I really just don't even know where to begin or, or, or where to go with it. And so, you know, those are the times, those are the occasions where um, I'm at a loss for words and, and, and I don't want to just fall into the habit of just making requests. I want it to be more than that. I fall back on the Lord's Prayer. And I've never needed to say anything to God that wasn't suggested by one of the words or one of the phrases in that model prayer. Now, as I was preparing for this conference, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, what would it look like if we prayed the Lord's Prayer for our spouse? You know, what if a husband prayed the Lord's Prayer the way I'm talking about for his wife? What if a wife prayed the Lord's Prayer the way I'm talking about for her husband? I think that could be such a powerful thing. And so the title of this message is The Lord's Prayer for Couples. What we want to do is we want to unpack the Lord's Prayer with marriage in mind. 
So think of it. I mean, those of you who opened, um, some even looking at the text on your phone, that's a totally cool thing to do. We're talking about only three verses, 59 words, six sentences, three having to do with God's glory, three having to do with our good. And so first, let's unpack the first three, the, the three your phrases. I'm going to begin reading in verse one. I'm going to read all the way through to the end of the prayer, and then we're going to go back. So now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So again, that first your phrase is your name in verse 2. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's start with our Father. You have to understand how radically new school that was. Like in the Old Testament, it talks about God as Father, but only in the context of the nation. Like there's a real limited number of references to him as Father. And again, it's always Father of the nation. So this idea of talking about God as the Father of an individual, your dad in heaven, my dad in heaven, like that was like this new school revolutionary thought and really, really special I mean, it's kind of cool because it's like as Jesus tells us how to pray, the approach is so childlike. The requests are so simple. If you and I were going to create a, a form prayer, we probably would have chosen to address God in some really formal way. You know, like you go to a prayer meeting and, and someone prays in King James English. They never talk that way any other time. And it's like, what's up with that? Jesus, in effect, taught us to pray, Dad or Daddy. I love that. As the father of two daughters, I love that. One adult daughter, uh, one daughter who's not an adult, she's still at home. I love that. I love that when my 12-year-old calls me dad or daddy. I love it when my 27-year-old calls me dad or daddy. It's like music to my ears. It is so sweet to hear a grown woman call me daddy. And Jesus taught us to talk to God like that. I love it. Now, notice also it says our Father in heaven. You know, you might imagine like a good earthly father who might be uh, willing to help us, but perhaps not able to. You might even imagine a bad earthly father who's able to help us, but not willing. We have a heavenly father who is both willing and able. As part of what I share tonight, I'm going to share some of my favorite quotes about prayer, if that's okay. I want to bust out the Jedi masters of prayer. All right, so, so one of those is Andrew Murray. He's like a Yoda of prayer. He was a 19th century South African preacher, and he said this. He said, your father in heaven loves you too much to harm you, and he is too wise to make a mistake. He is that near, and we are that dear to him. Notice, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is a verb and not an adjective, and it means to set apart. The idea here is to give God a good name. Sometimes we talk about, you know, giving something or someone a bad name. Uh, maybe some of you guys remember when the great theologian John Bon Jovi wrote a song about giving love a bad name. Well, this prayer is not that we would give God a bad name, but that we would give God a good name. I love that. The idea that in our lives, we would live in such a way that when people, people see us, they think higher thoughts of God and not lower thoughts of God. How would I pray 
this first thing if I were praying it for Miranda? How might you pray this if you were praying it for your spouse? Rather than say it as if I'm teaching it, I, I just sort of freeform wrote a paragraph of prayer as if I were praying this for my spouse. So let me read it to you. And, and, and in doing that, I think that you'll see what I'm talking about and maybe even, even learn something about how this could apply to you and your marriage. Imagine this first request. Thank you for being my spouse's dad in heaven, just like you're mine. You knew them before I did and loved them before I did and infinitely more than I ever could. May I never forget that they're your child. May I think about them the way you do. May I always speak to them and about them as if you were in the room, and you are. May I always treat them as if I will answer to you, and I will. I pray that our marriage will give you a good name, that people will look at our relationship the way we love each other, and they will think more of you and not less. It's an example of how you might pray just that first request for your spouse. Let's move on to number two, your kingdom. You notice the prayer goes on with those simple words, your kingdom come. Now let's, let's break down this kingdom stuff because really we could think about this in, in more ways than one. Um, the Bible describes what we sometimes call the kingdom age, right? Like it describes this time after the second coming when Jesus is literally going to reign here on earth for a thousand years. That's going to be an amazing time. And that's, that's a whole nother Bible study. I'll bet you Tim's got a whole bunch of Bible studies about that on the internet. You probably can, can just feast on that. But so it's super cool to think about it, right? I don't know about you guys, but I get excited when I think about Jesus coming back. And, and to take it a step further, I don't know about you, but more and more I find myself watching the TV news and just being like, God, what are you waiting for? Like, for real, I mean... Let's get this show on the road. I mean, how much worse can it get? Um, I'm ready. I bet some of you are too. But that has to do with his kingdom coming uh, literally here on earth. What about right here and right now, his kingdom coming in my heart? You know, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And you can't have a king without subjects. Guess who's the king? And guess who the subjects are? I can't pray your kingdom come without praying my kingdom go. You know, the two go hand in hand. When you and I come to God in prayer, we're not trying to get God to buy in. He's trying to get us to buy in. Prayer is about me buying into God's plan, not getting him to buy into mine. Now, the cool thing is, though, that, that it's not just about God's kingdom coming in my heart, but it's about God's kingdom coming in your heart, which is part of what I can pray. Hudson Taylor, a 19th century missionary to China, his son said this about his dad. For 40 years, the son never rose on China that God didn't find him on his knees. That's pretty cool, right? It'd be cool for our kids and our grandkids to know that we were men and women of prayer, that we prayed for them. Um, Hudson Taylor himself said this, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. You know that, right? Like we can't control other people. And even God's given people free will. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But we can and, and, and often do make a difference in people's lives when we pray for them. And so, you know, in that respect, we're bringing heaven to earth. Now, now what would it look like if we were to pray this for our spouse? So here's, here's this paragraph that I created. Hear me out now. Here's what I would pray. Something like this. Thank you that my spouse and I get to serve you together. May I always encourage them to develop their gifts and to use them in your service. 
I pray that your kingdom would come in our hearts, in my spouse's heart, that they might experience all that you have for them, all the faith, all the hope, all the love, and in my heart, that I might become the person that they need me to be. And may we never forget that it isn't about us or our kingdom, but about you and yours, that what we do here and now matters in time and in eternity. That's how I might pray that for my spouse. Well, let's move on then. Let's talk about this third request. The third your phrase is your will. So picking it up there again in verse two, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as I suggested a moment ago, God has given us free will, right? You have free will. I have free will. Do you think God's ever had any second thoughts about that? I wonder if God's ever been like, what was I thinking? (laughs) Given where we've gone with it, what we've done with it. But the truth is that, you know, he's given us free will, and we have chosen so many times to be self-willed. I love what Eugene Peterson said about this in his book, Earth and Altar. He refers to this part of the prayer, or really to prayer in general, as unselfing. So as it relates to these three requests that we've looked at so far, we're on the third. Your name as unself-seeking. Your kingdom as unself-serving. Your will as unself-willed. There are what? Seven and a half billion wills on earth and one in heaven. So whose will is it going to be? It's a good question for us to think about, right? But I think that on some level, there's fear. On some level, don't many of us feel just a little bit fearful about what that would mean to really fully surrender to God's will? You know, are we going to like that? Are we going to be happy with where that takes us? John Corson, who is a longtime Calvary Chapel pastor and a man who knows what it is to suffer, his, his, one of his sons just died of cancer, but it's the third member of his immediate family that he's lost Um, over the years that he's been pastoring. He lost his first wife in an accident. He lost a daughter in almost the same kind of accident. And now he's lost a son to cancer. And so here's a man who knows whereof he speaks when he says, God's will in your life means he is doing exactly what you would do if you had all the facts. That's powerful, right? We can trust him. We don't have to be afraid of his will in our lives. Philip Brooks, the 19th century preacher from Boston, said the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Jesus modeled that for us in the garden, right? Remember when Jesus was wrestling in prayer in the garden hours before, you know, shortly before his arrest and really hours before the crucifixion, and he was praying, you know, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Again, he was modeling that for us. E. Stanley Jones, the late Methodist missionary to India, said this, I love this one. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. Listen to this part. If I throw a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. So we often say that prayer changes things, and it does, right? But maybe more importantly, prayer changes me. I change as I pray. So here's how I might pray this third request for my spouse. This is how you might pray it for your spouse. Thank you that you have a plan for us. As we pursue that plan together, I choose to unself. To not only put you first, but to put my spouse before myself. 
to truly care about the hopes, dreams, and aspirations that you placed in their heart. May I not be self-seeking, self-serving, or self-willed in my relationship with you or with them. Show us your will for our life together. Lead us, guide us, open and close doors for us. Give us the courage to create the future that you've planned for us. That's how I might pray that for my spouse. So we've unpacked the first three for God's glory. Now let's unpack the last three for our good. Now it's three us phrases. Are you ready for the three us phrases? Okay, so first is give us. Verse three, it says, give us day by day our daily bread. Now, I love the word us and all the other uh, pronouns in the prayer. There are no personal pronouns in this prayer. That's an amazing thing, right? Hank Hanegraaff referred to this as praying in plural, and I like that. Check this out. You may be alone when you pray, but you never pray alone. You know, it's a cool thing even to just think about the fact that even if you are in a room all by yourself on your knees, there are countless other Christians around the world praying at that same moment. But we'll see that this can be understood in an even broader uh, context than that. If I can just get these pages to separate, that would be helpful. In theory, we think that we should pray for others and not for ourselves. I've heard that so many times over my years in ministry. In practice, we pray for ourselves and not for others, if we pray at all. But here's the thing. As we think about these these plural pronouns, when I pray for me, I should pray for you. You know, just the act of praying for myself should bring it to my mind that I need to pray for you as well. But here's the thing that maybe goes even a step deeper than that. When I pray for me, I should consider you. In other words, if God said yes to me, what would that mean for you? How would God's answers to my prayers affect the people around me, especially my spouse, right? Especially my wife, For you ladies, especially your husband. Um, That's a big deal. So the request here in verse three is give us bread. No one here has ever prayed for bread. I mean, I doubt it. I could be wrong. Maybe some one person here has. But I seriously doubt that anybody here has ever been that desperate. Like, God, please, my survival depends upon a piece of bread. But this is where we need to understand where Jesus was going with this because, you know, really, like, you know that idiot bread and butter? Like, you say, well, that's, you know, that's that person's bread and butter or that's that business or that industry, that's their bread and butter. It just refers to the essential sustaining element. So, of course, Jesus was encouraging us to pray for food, but by extension to pray for all of our physical needs and by extension to pray for all of our needs, period. It reminds us that God is our source, right? That he is our source, which is why it doesn't make any sense to worry. I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier since that's the other place this prayer is found. And of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus talks about worry. Three times he says, do not worry. Once he asks, why do you worry? What are you worried about? I mean, I've got things that are a source of stress or a source of anxiety for me in my life right now. I'll bet many of you do as well. And we need to take to heart Paul's admonition. You know, don't worry, pray. Remember he said in, in Philippians, he said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Philippians 4, verse 6, that's good advice. But notice, you know, going even a little bit further, it's like, give us our daily bread. I hate that. 
I hate that he said daily bread. That is so annoying to me. You know what I want? I want yearly bread. I want to win the bread lottery, man. I want to know that I've got like a lifetime supply of bread. I would settle for a month's supply of bread. I mean, a week. Can I get a week? But instead, I'm told to pray for daily bread. Like, really? I mean, if, if, among other things, this talks about contentment, right? Talks about the need to be content. Are you, are you content in your life? You know, one thing I've learned from my own experience, as well as just observing the experiences of other people, is that if, if you have a person who's discontent when they have a little, they're discontent even when they have a lot. But on the other hand, when you find someone who is content with a lot, if you could rewind, you would see that there was a time when they were content with a little. There's a real important lesson there for us when it comes to this whole issue of contentment. And then notice, give us day by day our daily bread, which sounds redundant, right? But it's not, because daily refers to quantity, day by day refers to frequency. To pray for daily bread, one must pray daily. If God was going to give me an annual supply of bread, you know how often I'd pray? Once a year. That's exactly right. And God wants me coming to him all the time. So how, how would I take this and pray this for my spouse? Listen to this. Thank you for all your blessings, and especially for my spouse. I pray that you would meet all of their needs today, not one of which has escaped your attention. Please continue to bless us, to provide for us, to watch over us. Keep us healthy and happy and safe. Provide for all of our needs now and in the future. Keep us on the same page financially, working as a team. Pray that we would have not only enough to give and to meet our immediate needs, but to share with others and to save for the future. But no matter what, teach us to trust, to be grateful, to be content. That's how I might pray that for my marriage. Well, let's go on then to forgive us. That's the next us phrase in verse 4, forgive us. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins. The word sins there means to miss the mark, and we all do. Aren't you glad for 1 John 1, 9, perhaps one of the most oft-quoted verses in the New Testament? You know, at least in terms of appropriating it, that's the verse that tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. I need to acknowledge my sin. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to be specific. I need to do it as soon as possible. In my relationship with God, this is even a barometer of how healthy I am spiritually. Alan Redpath said the time lag between the moment of sinning and the moment of forsaking and confessing is a sure indication of the true nature of a man's walk with God. But notice this. It adds, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, you know that saying. I think I even talked a little bit about this the last time we were here. That saying that hurt people hurt people. It's so true. Hurt people hurt people. When you and I are hurt, you know, we hurt others. But the other side of that is also true. Forgiven people forgive people. Unforgiven people don't. So what does your forgiveness quotient say about you? 
You know, you could even say that this is the single most important thing in any relationship, you know, is, is the fact that, that we can forgive each other because we're all going to fail. We're all going to need forgiveness. We're all going to need grace. We're all going to need mercy. You know, to have healthy relationships, we're going to have to forgive each other, and we should want to. And so it's a big thing for us to think about how this affects not just a relationship with God, like us needing to ask him to forgive us, but us needing to be forgiven by our spouse and needing to extend forgiveness to our spouse. There is always this fear that, you know, if I, if I extend forgiveness, I'm just going to make it easier for them to keep sinning against me. And sadly, there are people who, you know, may take advantage of that. But, but here's the bottom line. The truth is that when we don't forgive, we suck all the oxygen out of the relationship. And when we do forgive, we bring oxygen back into the room. So really, truly, if there is reason to forgive your spouse, but you're not wanting to, you're robbing them of the spiritual oxygen that they need to grow and to change and to mature and all of that. So what we want to do is we want to fill the relationship with the oxygen of, of love and of grace and of forgiveness. And instead of empowering them to sin against us, we're going to empower them not to. So you know how sometimes we think about sin as debt. The idea is to let it go, to let it go. Here's how we might pray this in our marriage. Thank you for forgiving me and for the price you paid to make that forgiveness possible. Thank you that you love me and you love my spouse that much. Make me a kind, tender-hearted, forgiving person. Help me to extend grace, especially to my spouse, to cut them some slack to let things go and give me the humility to admit when I'm wrong. May I be quick to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, to make things right. There's one more request. That's the lead us request at the end of verse four. It says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation. I heard about a guy with a t-shirt that said, do not lead me into temptation. I can find it for myself. There's a lot of truth to that, right? Now, don't forget, it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to sin, but it's not a sin to be tempted to sin. And so, in effect, when we're praying this prayer, among other things, we're claiming the many promises of the Bible. I'm not going to walk you through all those now. Time wouldn't allow, but just as one example, think about in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where Paul talked about how you know, the ways that we're tempted, they're common. Like everybody experiences these kinds of things. And there's always the way of escape. The Bible is filled with so many promises like that that we can claim in prayer. It doesn't help when, as Paul puts it in Romans 13, verse 14, we're making provision for the flesh. A lot of times we are so setting ourselves up to fail instead of setting ourselves up to succeed. Um, you know, in these, in these areas where we might be tempted. So let me ask you a few questions. You know, what settings are you in when you are tempted? Avoid them. What props do you have that encourage you to sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with when you are tempted? Avoid them. I mean, 
There are some people we can't avoid, but there are many others that we can, that it's just not healthy for them or for us um, you know, to continue to hang out together or whatever. And so then it says, deliver us from the evil one. We do have a spiritual enemy. You guys know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Greg Laurie calls Satan a marketing genius, and he is. I mean, that guy is on top of his game, like all the time. 24-7, 365, he never takes a day off. He doesn't take a lunch break. I mean, he is just on it all the time. And we understand that, that on the one hand, even in the very same thing, Satan is tempting us to bring out our worst, and God is testing us to bring out our best. And we have this opportunity to make the right choice. How might I pray something like this for my marriage? How could we think about this in our marriage? Check this out. Thank you for not only forgiving us, but for giving us everything we need to say no to things that are harmful and hurtful and yes to things that are helpful. Thank you for making us spiritually alive, for giving us a new nature, for filling us with your spirit. I pray that you would strengthen my spouse spiritually and help them in whatever battle they may be fighting today and strengthen me. Now listen, guys. Help me to say no to anything and everything that makes me less than you've called me to be, robbing my spouse of the person I could be and of the relationship we could have if only I made better choices. I commit with your help to making the best choices for us. How revolutionary could that be to think those thoughts, to pray those prayers, to make those kinds of commitments? I want to encourage you guys, the program tonight um, isn't going to give you the opportunity to do this. We've got so many awesome things that we're going to do while we're here. This is an awesome thing you get to do at home. It doesn't have to be tonight, but can I encourage you to do two things sometime in the next several days. One is to get alone by yourself, just you, and pray the Lord's Prayer for your spouse the way I've suggested. Go through each of the six petitions Read or recite from memory that petition, but then pray it in your own words with your own heart for your spouse and for your marriage. And then here's the second suggestion. First is going to be relatively easy by comparison. But the second suggestion is that you do this as a couple. That as a couple, you set aside 10, 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. Make it easier for yourself. If you love it, maybe you go longer the next time. But instead of biting off something completely overwhelming, bite off something manageable. Just set aside 10 minutes and walk through it together. You know, one, read or recite to the other the, the petition and then just take 30, 45 seconds, 60 seconds each to pray that thing for each other and for you as a couple. You know, maybe you've never really done anything like that. I think even if it's scary, it'll blow your mind. Not only how meaningful it is, but how intimate and, and even if you have prayed together as a couple, even if you do that frequently, if you've never tried this specifically, I think you will be surprised at the power that is packed in this model prayer. Could I just close this segment with a brief prayer? And then I know we've got a couple more really cool things going to happen tonight before we're done. But let me just close this segment with a prayer. Father, I'm so thankful that you gave us this prayer that your son Jesus taught us this model prayer. And, and Lord, I hope that our hearts could be gripped with the idea that 
you know, we know we should pray for our spouse, and sometimes we do, but it's always just the same couple, two, three things. I pray that this could open up like all new thoughts, entirely new possibilities for the kinds of things that we might pray for our spouse and for our marriage. And that in praying these things faithfully, we could, we could see real transformation take place. Over a period of time, we could see our marriage evolving spiritually into something even deeper, into something even more beautiful than ever before. And we'll give you the glory for that, the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn back over to Pastor Tim. That was awesome, wasn't it? We have one last section tonight. Um, Alan, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I didn't know exactly what you had in mind with that title. I mean, I, I, I had an inkling, but it was outstanding. And Miranda, I love your solo. I mean, I, of course, I love Phil Wickham's music anyway, and you started with that. But uh, um, your solo was awesome, and so was, uh, Alan, your, your teaching. And um, I took some notes. I, matter of fact, so I made sure I kept them. I was texting them to my wife. <laughs> so literally, uh, a couple of your quotes, Alan, I texted them to Sarah. So uh, we'll kind of talk about them together. And so Miranda, I was not texting. I was actually listening to Alan because uh, she, she probably looked at it. What is he doing? I, they were actually, sometimes, you know, if I text them to my wife, we can discuss them later. But if I, you know. Just put them in some uh, word pad or something. I'll forget I even put them in there, and they're long gone. So um, last section, I want to invite uh, Pastor Tito and uh, Jeeva and Alan and Miranda to come sit in these four beautiful chairs up here, and we can take this back, Trevor. We can get that out of the way. Um, we just have a few panel discussion questions, and I think you'll enjoy these questions. You heard... That great marriage counselor, Tim Hawkins, earlier, <laughs> how he was handling questions. <coughs> Don't tell your spouse they're a psycho when you say, start asking, why are you acting like a psycho? I need my uh, papers here real quick. I got a question on there. <laughs> that was good stuff. You know, uh, it's been great to uh, introduce... Pastor Tito and Jeeva to Alan and Miranda. Uh, you know that uh, Jeeva just released the book, uh, Wounded to Win. So uh, my wife and I have a copy, a signed copy we don't do, actually. And, uh, so uh, we're going to have Jeeva up later this year with a ladies' night or something where she's going to talk about the book, and, and you guys can ask questions. And um, uh, we're looking at some other, other things as well. But, uh, you know, Pastor Tito shared a great message last time about uh, to being together, and I thought uh, just with what Miranda's gone through, uh, what Alan went through, and, you know, uh, the loss of his first marriage, and, and just uh, God rebuilding you from the ground up, and then putting you guys together, and what you've gone through with abuse, and, your, and then uh, Tito losing one wife to cancer, and all the abuse you went through in writing the book. So uh, I, had, I didn't think about that when I originally, I was just inviting you all for fellowship, but when I started talking to you like a month ago, I'm like, y'all might really hit it off. You know? So uh, both have had miserable, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> and God has taken you to new places. So um, 
But uh, we want to ask a few questions here, and, and all of us go through some of these things um, over time. Sometimes it's, it's just life. Sometimes it's kids. Sometimes it's just your work. And I'll start off this one with Alan Miranda. Uh, and, and again, I guess there could be some wrong answers, but hopefully not. Anyway, uh, first one for you guys. Last year, and these questions are not from y'all, so don't think, I think I know who wrote this. These are not from Calvary Chapel, Richmond. If they apply to you, that might be a good thing, at least from hearing an answer, but uh, these are from other churches around the country at other conferences. So last year, me and my spouse went on two dates. So if you know someone in this room that is guilty, that is that normal? Is that enough? How do we create more one-on-one time in our marriage, especially with the responsibilities of children? That's the question. Well, two dates in a year, I think, is pretty good, huh? It can be. It can be. (laughs) I mean, clearly, I think that as much as you could date your spouse, the better. But um, that's not always possible in different seasons of life. Like when you do have small children and maybe you don't have the funds to get babysitters, or, um, you know, maybe you've got to be totally creative about where you can go. You know, maybe your date is going to have to be Starbucks and a cup of coffee because that's all you can afford right then. But um, for us, I mean, living in a motorhome for the last three years with our 12-year-old and our little dog, there is not a whole lot of alone time. But oftentimes we'll, you know, we'll do a quick errand during the day and we'll go get some stuff done or stuff shipped that we need to do, and, and we'll spend that time together, the two of us. And um, it's super fun to, to even just have those little snippets every day that we can spend together. Honestly, we do not get a lot of dates, just the two of us, like a dedicated evening to go out and do something. But that's the season we're in right now, and we're making the best of it, and we treat each other with respect and love, and we listen to each other throughout the day. We ask, you know, how are you doing? And, well, how did that call just go? And, and different things like that. Do you want to have anything you want to add? Well, I was just going to say, like Miranda said, there are seasons. When we first got married, her parents lived like a mile, two miles away. So um, then we were doing date night every week. Like every Friday night, we would take Des, leave Des, you know, with, with her grandparents and you know, we would get a date and even overnight before we'd pick Des up the next day. So, you know, if you can do that, like, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you do that? And like Miranda said, if funds are tight, there are fun things you can do. I mean, we didn't always necessarily go out. We often did, but some of those times we dropped Des off and we went right back home. And you could have, you know, a romantic evening there at the house. So, um, but yeah, whatever your season of life, I love what you said. I love how we really try to make the most of anything. If it, if it is, we're going to leave Des for one hour. We're going to run a couple of errands. We're going to make that as daylight as we can. We're going to hold hands walking from the car into wherever we're going. We're going to stop and get a coffee. We're going to say sweet things to each other. You know, So make re- when, you, when you can't get a date, make, make real life date-like. Everybody likes shopping and gets one on an errand now. Um, but uh, you're thinking about, uh, 
just that trip up to the store or the grocery store and, and, and just kind of unwind a little bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's probably good that sometimes my wife and I literally, we just, you know, we'll say, let's leave the phones in the car. Mm-hmm. Just leave the phones in the car. Um, so that way we're not distracted by text coming in, emails coming in, things like that. Uh, great answer. Thank you. Um, next one. Uh, just for the, I, I probably just did two weeks, but uh, you go to Zebra. What are some tips, practices, or goals that can help me and my spouse start to pray together more regularly? It's an interesting question because, you know, Jesus said in Luke 18, one, men ought to always pray and not faint. And uh, for, for, for me, it's a difficult question to, under, uh, to answer because I really don't understand it. And I'll, t- and I'll explain to you why. Um, I, I'm a person of prayer. You know, people tell me, well, you, you pray a lot because you're a pastor. No, I pray because I'm a Christian. And so the prayer that happens in my marriage is an outflow of the prayer time that I spend. And so when I met my wife, she says, literally, you pray about everything. You pray about parking spaces. You pray over the meal. You pray over the kids. You pray it. So... At minimum, at minimum in my house, on a bad day, we pray six times, and I'll tell you why. I, send bo- I, I stay with both my sons, and so I send one of my sons to school. I pray for him. The other son, while he's in the house, I pray for him. I, when I send her off to work, I pray with her. And then at nighttime, we pray for, I pray with each of them, and I pray. So at minimum, and so anytime she brings up something, she's in the middle. So, oh, so the, what a great idea. Let's pray for them right now. And she gets annoyed with that, but I'm like, okay, I really don't have any answers other than give you a scripture or take it to the Lord. And so I make, uh, I live a lifestyle of prayer. Do we have uh, times where we have scheduled prayer, times of fasting? We do that, but I realize that doesn't work for every couple. With my former wife, um, it was really, really annoying because I'm a very structured, very, very regimented person. I'm up and I pray for an hour, read scripture for an hour, and I do it at a certain time at seven day. And she was very free spirited, and so I said we were going to have prayer at seven o'clock in the morning, and she'd uh, roll over at seven o one, seven o two, and I'm already in my flesh because you're late for prayer, and so. Um, and then, you know, I'd like to start prayer with Thanksgiving. And she wanted to sing. I said, you're, you're going out of the, out of the ritual. You're, you're, you're missing the ritual. And so I, I had to learn that with her, structure didn't work. And so I learned with her, we prayed on the, on the fly. And we talked theology on the fly. And we talked about Bible on the fly. And so we made prayer part of our everyday life. And I found that as we did that, um, uh, prayer became easy. And at the same time, I made praying for her as uh, Adrian was talking about, did I get your name right? Alan was talking about today, a priority and praying for her prayer life and praying for our prayer life together individually, my personal goal as the head of the household. Therefore, it came out of the outflow of my relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it just became easy that way. The Bible says, in all things with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so I take that literally. I pray for all things. And so just prayer is a part of my life. That's why I don't understand the question. Because if, a, if you are a person of prayer, this really won't be a struggle. Because you'll know you'll be praying for your spouse. If your prayer life together is an is a issue, you're pray, taking it to the Lord. If the Lord is giving you wisdom, you're taking it to the scripture you share. And it will eventually flow because... Especially if you're, this is, and I were assuming that both of you are saved, because if the other person is not saved, that's a totally different issue. But I'll let you talk, because you know, I can talk forever. So I'm going to speak for the Samaritan women, 
right? The, the women at the whales, <laughs> the ones who weren't saved that long, right? Um, but <clears throat> I think that uh, one of the quotes that you mentioned earlier about marriage not making you happy is very important when it comes down to this question because you have to have an individual walk with the Lord for prayer to be something of value, one to you first, before it can become something of value in the marriage. Because if you, you know, I'm not very much of a ritual person. And so one of the things that was difficult in being married to someone who is very regimented in his prayer life, you know, was like, okay, we, are we really praying for a parking spot? Okay, are we, are, we, are we really doing this? Honey, I was just telling you about my day. Can I just tell you about my day? Do we really have, you know? But the thing about it was because I value prayer, because I value my relationship to Christ, it is easier for me to be submissive to the head of my household and how he chooses to run our prayer time. So if I can only imagine if I didn't love Jesus, we weren't going to be praying at all, right? Because I'm over here just doing my own thing. And so I think you have to cultivate your own walk with the Lord first. And then when you are communicating, make sure that prayer is something that you value in the marriage. So just like when you're having a conversation and saying, okay, how are we going to treat the kids? How, we, how many kids are we going to have? What are we doing financially? Your spiritual walk should be a conversation that you're communicating about. And that way, when you're going through the marriage, it's not even a question about what do we value. Prayer is one of those things. Now, how do you choose to do it? I love how you said, if you're not someone who prays for a long time, set 10 minutes. We've gone through seasons where We've done devotionals together. It literally takes five minutes from you version. He reads a verse. I read a verse. How did I speak to you? Okay, let's pray. And it takes you five minutes. And then there are some times where, I mean, it's full-on worship, and we're just going and on our knees and crying. But that's not all the time because then the baby monitor is going on. So you can't. <laughs> so you have to understand, like you were saying, the season that you're in. But I think practically you have to value it. And I know even though that's a responsibility that is put on the men, I believe if you as a wife, that is a desire that you have, that the kingdom would come into your heart and into your marriage as you're praying for your spouse, God is going to start allowing, the Bible says that the, king, the heart of the king is in his hand and he's the one who turns it in any way he wishes he would. So at the end of the day, as you're praying, ask God for that grace to start praying together. And before you know it, you might, you know, he might surprise you one day and say, baby, you want to pray? Ooh, Lord, I thought you never said that. <laughs> so, yeah. Is it, uh, and, the, and Go ahead. No, one of the, the, the main thing, when we started dating, we talked about our values up front. And one of the things that I said, listen, I value prayer. I value the word. The word of God is our authority. And so oftentimes we find that couples don't have these conversations about what they're going to value up front. 
And when they get in a conflict, what are they going to do? Who are the people they're going to go to for counsel? And, you know, one of the things that we said, we value prayer. I'm a person of prayer, you know, and I am challenging you. I'm going to encourage and cultivate your prayer life, and I'm going to and encourage and add value to your relationship with the Lord. I'm going, to I'm going to ask you about your prayer life. How are you doing? Have you been in the word? And so uh, we're going to have times when we pray together. And so we established that up front. That is something that is a value that we have in our home. And so that's why at the beginning, when it's, it's something that as Christians, Jesus said, when you pray, say. And so there has to be a when a when, a time, a place when you get together, when you pray individually, and when you pray as a couple. And I helped him relax a little bit, you know. So like, it's okay, honey. We so the, to do it Samaritans seven. tend to do that to the Levites. I had to pull her over to the Levite side a little bit. <laughs> is somewhat similar to the dating answer in the sense that uh, it's really, you have structure and the value is there when you came in, but it is, uh, my wife and I have the same thing. We stop and pray about things as life. So it's not, uh, some people do have a very set, uh, we are, you know, but your job schedule may not allow that. You might, if he has to be at work at 5 a.m. And, and you get home, and do, so that may not really work. But we do have, let's just stop and pray about that. Let's just stop and pray about that. Then, uh, Tito, you're saying about six times a day. So it's really uh, part of, you know, let's, let's make anywhere we go part of our date life. And we're always above the four-minute mark that we talked about earlier. And you're always praying more than two minutes because, ten, you know, ten seconds here, three minutes here, five minutes here. Now you still have to have your personal life that we talked about. But uh, thank you for those answers. Good stuff. Um, this one's for Alan Miranda. Has there ever been a time, and I guess I've only been married five years now, right? But has there been a time when you were insecure in your marriage or worried that it wouldn't work out? How did you handle it? Yeah. So, yeah, never, never in this marriage. But the interesting thing about throwing that question to us is that, as many of you know, um, we have both been divorced and now remarried. So we, we both have survived field marriages. So I would say a couple things. I would say, number one, those of you who are here who have been divorced and who are now remarried, we see you. You matter. You're not less than. So glad that you're here tonight. Um, I know we talked a little bit about this, um, about our experiences and our thoughts about this, this very question, this very topic. And I think, here's what I'm going to throw out, and then I'll see what Miranda wants to add to it. You know, Miranda, Miranda was abused. I was abandoned. Um, as I look back on my marriage, I was married the first time for 20 years and really tried. I did everything I could to save my marriage. I found a marriage counselor. We saw that counselor together or separately more than 30 times over the last year plus that we were married. Um, you know, there's a long story there that this is not the right time to tell, but, you know, she left me and our then 17-year-old daughter. Um, so when I look back, the, here's a couple things I would do differently, which is also a way of saying, here's what I would encourage you to do if there are issues, if there are reasons that you're not feeling real hopeful about the future. Um, I think for the longest time, you know, um, 
I was just sucking it up. I think I felt like it was the manly thing to do, the honorable thing to do, to not tell anybody that we were struggling, to always protect. And, uh, you know, of course, what seemed like a really healthy thing to do then, I came to see later, wasn't healthy. Like, like we were talking about with these guys over dinner, when you're in a broken relationship, oftentimes you don't even realize how broken you are until you're well on the other side of it. And, uh, and have, you know, even had, like, quite the awakening of self-awareness, you know. So, again, I, what I would do, I would open up. I would start sharing with people like a trust sooner. I would get, I would get counseling sooner. I would also um, not, I mean, I talked before about being forgiving, and you should totally do that. But, but on the other hand, not to contradict that, this is different than that. On the other hand, um, I would not sweep stuff under the rug that needed to be faced and dealt with. Um, I did. I spent too much time being a peacekeeper, and ultimately being an enabler. And I wish, in hindsight, you know, maybe maybe things could have turned out differently if I had earlier on opened up and reached out and confronted and been. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And however scared you are to deal with stuff now, it's only going to get worse. So I would just say, talk honestly with your spouse. Reach out for help, even professional help. You know, deal with it. Let's get it fixed. Let's make it better. Like, you don't have to have a marriage that sucks. Like, let's have great marriages. I totally agree. Um, my case is probably more extreme than what most people experience. But so I was married 11 years. And I knew, I knew as I was driving away from the wedding just an incident that happened right after that. It was like a, a switch flipped, and I knew I'd made a terrible mistake, that I didn't know the person I had just married. And it escalated through 11 years' worth of time to the point where it was just unbearable. And um, maybe had I confronted it really, really early on, it would have made a difference. Um, I was too inexperienced and didn't have any, any experience in that realm of living with a, a domestic violence situation to really know what to do. My parents were living overseas. They were missionaries in Italy. So I kind of felt like I was on an island and there was extreme control. I mean, by the end of 11 years, I wasn't allowed to drive. I would order groceries online so he could edit all my choices and control the credit cards and the money. I had no idea what we earned. I had, I mean, it was it was like a parent-child relationship in some ways. So when I got to the point where I realized I needed to escape for my safety and for my daughter, I knew that I couldn't ever go back. I could never be alone with this person again. It just it would not be safe once I had outed him. And so, you know, for, for years before that, I had begged him to go to counseling, and he never would. So the hard part for me was, as a Christian woman, finally reaching out to one person, my sister is who the person was for me, and telling her what was happening behind closed doors. Because here I am, touring the country. I'm singing at Harvest Crusades and being assaulted in the car on the way home. I mean, it's just nobody would even have a, ever imagined because I was protecting. I felt like a good Christian woman doesn't go around talking about 
how horrible her husband is to her. I just kept feeling like if I pray more, if I change my behavior, it'll get better. And it, it just never did. And so I guess from my perspective would be, if you are in a situation where you find yourself in that kind of a position, I would say, tell one person. Tell one person that you trust and try to get some advice and some help on where you need to go from there. I actually, once I told my sister, I actually snuck to go see a therapist and explain to her what was going on and what should I do. And she said, you need to leave and you need to never go back. And later, another pastor with a psychology degree as well would tell me the same thing just based on the things that were happening to me. I would have loved to have it be a thing where it turned out differently for so many reasons, especially with a child involved. But it just, it just sometimes in life we don't get the scenario we want and we have to work with the cards we've been dealt. And I do believe that counseling can help some of those situations, but not always. And I think God loves the people in the institution more than the institution. He made us so that we could be better together, not harming each other. So I guess that, that just wanted to add that little bit. It, it may not apply to anyone in this room, but having shared this story all over the country, there's usually two or three. I mean, the statistics are one in three women are abused in this country. So if you look around the room, that's a lot of people in our churches, in our sanctuaries that don't know where to go, don't know where to turn, and they think it's the right thing to stay and not deal with it. But that's not helping you, and it's not helping your spouse either. We went nuclear with our answers. <laughs> it just got deep. We, we love bombs. <laughs> Spiritual ones. The person asking the question is like, I just had a bad day. <laughs> we keep it really real here, you know. So, uh, no, it's great. And, you know, it's funny. A lot of things that uh, if you're saved, it, it, the, we were talking about the, the Lord's Prayer the model for it being an us prayer. What I love about hearing things that don't necessarily apply to my scenario is I invariably meet people the next day or within a week that fits the scenario and I learn about how to help approach things. So, you know, even if these aren't for you, if you're going to be married, you're going to run into other married couples who are going to need you to minister to them. And the more you understand about how other people have dealt with things, the more effective you are. Because my marriage is not just about me and Sarah. I was telling someone this week, I said, I've worked a lot of hours to put this thing together, a lot more than I had on my calendar. And I said, I have a good marriage. I'm not doing tonight for me and my wife. We have a good marriage. We could be on a date tonight. Now, we love it, but, but we know that beneath the surface, there's always things that you don't see in people's lives that they hide really well. Mm -hmm. And so even if that's not in this room, you'll be able to run into someone, even in this church, they'll still say something. You'll hear a clue. Like, can you go back, roll back about five seconds? What did you just say? And they, they, might, they might give you a clue of something that's going on that you're, and you say, hey, I want to ask you, what, what does that mean? And you might actually you know, be able to liberate somebody from situation or their thinking or, or, or help them just improve the marriage. So um, last question, and uh, we'll wrap it up with this. 
um, Tito and Jeeva. How do we bring up and discuss our weaknesses without it being an argument or hurt feeling? That Tim Hawkins is great at illustrating how this goes. Um, aren't we supposed to help each other grow, and how can we effectively grow while ignoring blind spots and weaknesses in one another? You don't grow. <laughs> well, 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 the answer is that you, you, you don't ignore them. Um, I, I, I get concerned when I hear someone say, um, how can I bring something up without it causing an argument? Because it automatically points to the sin issue of pride. And uh, Proverbs 13, 10, and it says it like this in the old King James Version. It says, only by pride cometh contention. Which means that if you get in strife or you get into contention or if you get into a spat, someone is being prideful. Someone has exalted their opinion, their will, or their need to say something above loving their spouse or their spouse's need to be understood or their spouse's need to communicate. And so... Uh, that's, the, that's the first issue. It is a sin issue of, okay, if you are a Christian and you are in a relationship, uh, you should desire to want your spouse to want to bring up your flaws. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, that says, he who loves instruction loves knowledge. This is the Bible says it this way. Please, this is the New King James Version. Read it up. I said, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> The, it's written, it's the New King James. If you hate correction, you're stupid. I'm going to say it a third time to let it sink in. If you hate correction, you're stupid. Because the person who loves you the most, the one that you said the vows with in front of all those witnesses and pledged your life to, sees something in you that can, that can help you. They see an area, I like to call it feedback for improvement because constructive criticism is an oxymoron. Um, feed, they're trying to give you feedback for improvement. They're seeing an area in your life that can be strengthened, that can be encouraged, that can be built up, and you're becoming defensive, and that is called pride, and it is a sin. And so I become concerned with that person because now, be, now we have a sin issue in the relationship that needs to be confessed. And so in dealing with it, um, we, we, let me give you the practical side. Is it, I usually call it the three T's. Uh, the, the right talk, you got to say it the right way. Uh, the right tone and the right time. And so uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, let your words be with grace. And so uh, saying something this way and being honest is probably not the right tone. And so when you're feeling, and so you probably need to go and pray, and, and, and you, especially if you're emotional about it or if they haven't communicated with you for a long time or if they've been withholding intimacy or withholding alone time or they being secretive or you're feeling neglected or whatever it is that you're dealing with that you need to, you probably need to take that to the Lord and, and just kind of make sure that, you know, you can communicate that uh, gracefully. Speak the truth in love, let your words be with grace. The Bible talks about the Proverbs 31, the law of kindness is in her mouth. And so that you, and then that you have the right talk, that you say it the right way. I, I usually tell couples, um, when you communicate something to your spouse, uh, make sure you own your emotions. Don't say, well, uh, you're not giving me this and you're not doing this and if you should do this, but instead say, uh, open up with, um, uh, maybe with prayer, I have some concerns. I am feeling a little bit 
um, misunderstood. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and, you know, but I, I'm feeling a little needy, and, and I need you to, is there any way that you can help me because I'm the one that struggles. And so when you bring it that way now, because guys are fixers, he wants to help you. And so, but, it, but if you come in with an attack or making it about what he's done or he hasn't done, even though that you, that may be right, but your, the right talk, saying it the right way is just as important as the message. So you have the right talk, the right tone, and this one is really big one, the right time, a word spoken in season, how good it is, there's a time for everything, Ecclesiastes, there's a time to talk and a time with withhold, and so, you know, standing in front of the TV, in front of the, the in, between, in the Super Bowl time may not be the right time to have a discussion about emotions, or, or you know, when the guys work the 16-hour shift, and he just heard them, he just dozed off the snow, said, hey, wake up, I had, you know, it might not be the right time, or, or you're fired up because he left the underwear on the floor, didn't do the dishes for the 15th time and you know you know it might not be the right time as you might need to go and pray and figure out it's like, honey you know you know for the past 15 and, and you know the right tone the right the right moment the right message the right method you know you got to have the right time the right tone the right talk and just make sure that you speak the truth and love but you don't ignore them and so if the person is being defensive then there's a sin issue that needs to be confessed and it is called pride is what is what the bible calls it um, I'm just going to add um, just a little bit. You know, the, the Bible talks about, you know, the marriage bed being undefiled and that they were naked and not ashamed. Anytime you come into a union of marriage, there should be a level of vulnerability with your spouse that you can't find anywhere else. That should be your closest friend. That should be the person that you run to. And I, I, I believe that you have to create that climate um, of, of vulnerability. Um, because if there is argument, obviously, is because the person has maybe tried, you know, to have the conversation and then they've seen that pattern. And when they feel like you are shutting them down, then obviously they're not going to come back. Um, but I think also as, as Christians, because I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, right, that we're all saved, um, we have the responsibility to make the scriptures the authority of our lives. And so if the scriptures are the authority of your life and you know and understand that you should be naked and not ashamed, when you are coming to your spouse before they are your husband, before they are your wife, they are your brother and sister in Christ. And so you should have that ability just like you would come to your sister in a small group or your brother in a small group and share and say, hey, it's not just maybe the sin nature that you find in them. It could be something else that you're struggling with. I've had moments where I've come to my husband and say, hey, babe, I'm really struggling with fear. And, and, and this is just how I feel like, I'm, would you pray with me about this? And, you know, and or if I say, hey, I'm really struggling in, in my spending habit. Now, if he takes that opportunity to be like, and, mm -hmm, that's why I saw on Amazon all those prime. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'm just trying, you know. So I need you, because sometimes it's not just about. That's where those Amazon charges were. <laughs> I was confessing joking, my sins, just, guys. We, um, we're going to have a long talk on the way home. <laughs> But it's because sometimes we always think about these moments of vulnerability as if, you know, you're you're calling them out on something. I think it's important to practice as many times as you find yourself calling something out in your spouse. 
the Holy Spirit continues to reveal things to you about yourself. And I think when you cultivate a relationship of vulnerability, you should, when God revealed those things, some things, yeah, are just for you and the Lord. But what an intimate moment to come and say, hey, babe, I was in prayer and God really showed me I was selfish in dealing with the children and da 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 And it's like, your spouse is going to be like, wow, you are doing the introspective work and I see that you can call out the own sin in your life. So when you come to them and bring up, it's like, oh, it's not like you Miss Perfect or Mr. Perfect, but you guys are doing this walk together. And Pastor Tony always had a saying that said, you know, when you think you've communicated enough, communicate again. And so when you're constantly communicating about these things, you're cultivating a, a climate where it becomes like, it's, it's almost like you, you just come and tell your spouse something and because they love you so much or they love Christ so much and you were talking about the whole forgiveness thing, it's like, come here, honey, let me pray for you. And, and you feel that, that, that love of God and Christ that is, that is outpouring on you through your spouse versus, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to tell him this. Well, I can't believe I have to tell her that. But you know, just creating that culture of vulnerability is really important. And let me add a second part to this, because the one is the confrontation. When I hear things like that, um, I also see that there are communication problems, yeah. um, that there are poor uh, conflict resolution skills. There's poor communication. And one of the things that I often tell, uh, tell couples, the book of Proverbs says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all you're getting, get understanding. And so when you're communicating, are you engaging your partner just with the purpose to communicate your ideas or to get your stuff across? Or are you in engaging in a exchange where you are trying to understand? The Bible says through wisdom, the house is built, but through understanding, it is established. So anytime I'm going to communicate with her, yeah, I have some things to say, but my primary goal is to understand where she's coming from, what she's feeling, what her concerns are. And I actually take, take the, the, the time to say, let me repeat back to you what you just said to make sure I got it right. And she said, no, you didn't get it. Or, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. And say, okay, here's... And, and I respond. The worst thing that you can do is when your wife communicates something to you, you say, mm-hmm, or okay. No, it's to say you got to actually uh, it takes some, some, some invest in some brain power and say, let me, <laughs> let, let me respond to you. And if you can't, if you don't know, if you say, well, I don't know how I feel about that, write it down on a piece of paper that I need to go and pray about that because I really hadn't contemplated that. And let me go to the scripture. Let me guess. Here, here's how I feel and come back and address the issue, because if not, what happens if you allow all these uh, concerns to go unresolved, and I, I don't know if any of you couples have gotten this situation, that you get in an argument, and it's unresolved, and then you get in an argument uh, five months down the line, and you pick up where you left off on the way, and then you have a, a vicious cycle of arguments, because you have all these unresolved issues, and if you just entered into the uh, engagement trying to understand because when you understand it makes everything better because wisdom is the principal thing with all you're getting get understanding that's awesome thank you very much uh, you know i think that you talked about coming into the relationship with the values and one of the greatest assets that me and my wife have is we 
we want to have, no one's going to see my flaws more readily than her, and no one's going to see her flaws more readily than me. But when you communicate that all I want is God's best for you, and you really, this goes back to trust. We talked about once your spouse trusts that you're, you really have their best interest at heart, and, and over time they see that sacrificial love in your life, then when you say, hey, I promise, I don't even want to talk about it, but I know that God will use us more effectively, use you more effectively. And, uh, it's not easy. I'll, I'll tell her, I said, please, if you see things, because I, I have the assumption that I always have something more to learn and get better at whatever it is. That's good. Shouldn't we all have that? Yes. The only one that couldn't say that was Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the rest of us would be stupid if we didn't think... <laughs> It's a good word. We'd be stupid, right? I, I tell my daughters that. It's right. I, I point it to them right there. You know, that's why you can't teach certain guys. They, you know, they, 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 I've, I've observed their life, and this is what I'm seeing. You know, I'm kidding. Well, I hope that you laughed. I hope that you uh, enjoyed tonight. I hope that you uh, the worship was wonderful. I, I learned, yes. Alan, your your message was so spirit led and just uh, just uh, anointed the way that you you put that together and. These questions, uh, I, we'll avoid the financial one again. I don't know if God's saying you're, they're not ready for that one yet. So we'll, we'll, we'll hold off on a future time. But uh, I wanted to say thank you real quick. We, we're done, except for I just want to say thank you. We're not going to close in worship. If you want to worship more with Alan Miranda, you've got to be here Sunday. 